Mark chapter 6 is where I said we were going to start because I have uh, now less time and no less to say. So in Mark chapter 6, we run across this chapter of Scripture that is full of stories that we recognize. If we read through the whole chapter, most of these stories I suspect would be familiar to many of you. And yet, we have usually taken them and broken them up in bits and pieces. We've dealt with one story, and then another story, and then another story. And it really wasn't even until I was reading back through the whole chapter this week that I realized that these stories were all connected together in this one chapter, in this one telling of what was happening in this this episode or this time in the life of Jesus. Some of what's going on, we watch as Jesus began teaching and preaching in his own hometown. And we find that when he did so, he was rejected. He was pushed away. His words, his message weren't well received among a familiar audience. When he was driven out of there, he began to spread around other villages. And it says he moved from village to village as he was teaching and he was preaching. But we also find out that he took the, the disciples that were following him and he sent them out. So he sent them out to spread the work of what was happening in the area to make an even greater impact of what was going on. And, and the way the story tells us is that they took very few belongings with them. But they took loads and loads of power. They had no food. They had no change of clothes. But Jesus handed them the authority to call people to repentance, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. As I read through that part, I can't imagine what an incredible experience in ministry that must have been for them as they were able to participate in this work that they had seen Jesus doing. After that story, we find out about John's beheading. He was killed by the king. Then we hit the story that I read today, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Just after this, we find Jesus walks across the water to meet his disciples as they are already sailing across the lake. These are some incredible stories. They're full of power and majesty, full of miracles and suffering. My guess is that if we were just to say, what's, what's your favorite story from the life of Jesus? Some of you might even mention some of these stories. At the very least, you would know many of them. You would know about the feeding of the 5,000. You would know about Jesus walking on water. You would know about John the Baptist being killed. You would know about the disciples being sent out with incredible power. Maybe even about Jesus preaching in his hometown and being rejected. These are stories that, that we're familiar with. And often as we read them, we jump from story to story and we miss something that is weaved in and out of these stories and more throughout the scriptures and especially the telling of Jesus' life. My guess is that as I read to you a story today, many of you missed that it was even included in the story that I read. There's this important thing that keeps taking place. As we read through Mark chapter 6, we see that the rejection had taken place. Jesus had been pushed away. The disciples had been sent out. They'd worked these miracles. They'd called people to completely change their lives. That's what repentance was, to, to change from the direction they were headed and head in a brand new direction of following after Jesus. John had been killed. It had been a taxing several days for them. 
They'd experience the exhilaration of ministering out of the power of Jesus, of following this, this Messiah, this new king. And then right alongside that, they'd also suffered the pain of death. And, and not just any death, not just they lost a colleague, they lost a friend, but John was intentionally killed because of his connection to this new king. Because of Jesus. So I have no doubt that they grieved the death of their friend, but even more significantly that they recognized that because he was killed because of his connection with Jesus, that the same possibility might exist for them soon. This was a time of incredible emotion. They were amazed and they were grieved. They were exhilarated and they were exhausted. And as we read through these stories, if we aren't careful, it's quite possible that we would skip completely over this, this this emotional state they're in, this life experience that they've walked through, skip completely over this and jump right into the next miracle. Even more important, if they aren't careful, they might skip over this reality of life that they're experiencing right now and jump right into the next miracle, jump right into the next thing to happen. But in between these stories, in between they're going out of ministry, John the Baptist dying, and then the story that we read today, we find these three really, really important verses that, as I said, I suspect some of us didn't even pay a lot of attention to as I read them earlier. It says this, starting in chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they'd done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Only a few verses ago, the work of Jesus and the work that he had placed upon his disciples was so pressing that they didn't even have time to pack lunch before they went. There was no time for a grocery run. There was no time to prepare for food. There was no time to pack their clothes. They were sent out immediately because the work that they had to do was pressing. There was incredible urgency in what had to happen. I wonder if with John being killed, that their sense of urgency didn't even increase drastically. They knew that the work was important, but now on top of that was this possibility that they were working on an expiring clock. That it was possible that the king that went after John would one day also come after them. Their work was important. They had to move. This was significant, and it mattered had to get it done before they ran out of time. But in the middle of all of this overwhelming emotion and urgency, Jesus said, no, no, now it's time for us to rest. Jesus knew the more pressing need for them in this moment. Jesus knew that they needed to stop, that they needed to be still, that they needed to renew their souls. They didn't need another miracle yet. They needed a nap. They needed lunch. They needed space. Valley, our work 
too is pressing. We know that that's the case, and we should experience a sense of urgency with regards to what is happening in our lives, with regards to to our need to know Christ, to need to know Him more and more fully, but also to help others come to the place of knowing Christ. And in this process and in this work, we're going to experience moments of exhilaration and moments of, of exhaustion. We're going to walk through ups and downs in the journey. We're going to have hard days, and we're going to have easy days. The need is great, and we should experience this sense of urgency with regards to what's happening. Friends, people need to come to know and follow Jesus before time expires, before it is too late for them, and that should push us forward with this gnawing inside of us with regards to the urgency by which we need to share the love of Christ and show the love of Christ to others that we interact with. As a church, we know that there's urgency in the work that we're doing in finding some stability in our methods and our practices in the way that we do church, stability in our finances, stability in, in, in our leadership and how we're creating leaders as a church, this idea of finding our way into the future. There is urgency in this press to figure out what it means to move forward. Part of the reason that this week we're going to begin these gatherings to come and discern together, to listen together, what is it that God is calling us towards into the future? There is urgency. We can't wait. There is so much to do. There's no time to waste. We have to move forward. It's true for us, and it was true for them. So as we read through these stories, what is it that Jesus was doing that in the midst of the ministry, in the midst of the miracles, at the the edge of some of the most important experiences that they've watched happen, these incredible moments of celebration, powerful ministry had just taken place, what was Jesus doing? I think in those verses, and again, we see it overlapped in his life over and over and over again. He was modeling and teaching them something that he did over and over and over again. He was reminding them of something that he would have to remind them of frequently. He was living out the example of something that they needed to see and that we need to see. Jesus understood that as people created in the image of God, that they needed seasons of work and seasons of rest. That we need seasons of work and seasons of rest. As a people in pursuit of knowing Jesus more fully, of spiritual transformation, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, people trying to move more and more towards authenticity, which comes through our growing healing and wholeness, they needed time with their Savior. We need time with our Savior. The story of Jesus reminds us that Jesus was deeply committed to preaching and to teaching, to healing and disciple-making. This work that he was doing, he was passionate about. He was deeply committed to. But if we read through the story of Jesus carefully and we look for it because we have to look for it, otherwise we read over it completely thinking it's this unimportant, unnecessary blip that kind of happens along the way. If we read through the story and look for it, we'll also see that Jesus was deeply committed to times in rest, to time in prayer, to time in the presence of the Father. 
God in the flesh, Jesus, understood that human life, especially among other humans, was really, really difficult. And it required time alone with the Father. And friends, if this is true for Jesus, God in the flesh, surely it also is significant for us. Right? Maybe, not sure. Not even sure if you're here, are you? So we're three weeks into this series that we've been walking through. Talking about the idea of some guiding principles that our vision team is discerning, is, is trying to pick up with regards to who we are and who we want to be. Some core values that we hope will drive us into the future. And we've talked about discernment and spiritual transformation. We've talked about authenticity. In our conversation of these, we, we, I shared with you that the vision team believes that I believe that it's this idea of spiritual transformation that is really the foundation of all of this, really the core of what we're doing, that we want to be a people experiencing life change, that we want to be a people helping foster and bring about and motivate life change for others. That we believe that Jesus wants to do a great work in each of us. That the Holy Spirit is committed to this work of recreation among us and in us. But we also talked about the reality that this work, this work is primarily God's work. It is God who brings new life in us. It is God who stirs transformation in our souls. It is God who redeems and restores. However, we have a role in what is happening. We have responsibility in what's taking place. We have work to do in this faith journey. As Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he said it this way. It's in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Perhaps you're more familiar with translations that say this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now there's some of us that hear that translation, that hear this passage that's talking about us working out our own salvation, us working towards our own salvation, and we get the idea that, that salvation is somehow dependent on our activity. I mean, after all, doesn't James say that faith without works is dead? Yes. Yes, James says that. And Paul says this bit about us working out our faith. And yet, it doesn't mean that you or I can accomplish or achieve salvation. You're hearing that clearly, right? We can not achieve the salvation that Jesus wants to work in our lives. Not possible. We can't get there. That kind of thinking about what this means or what these passages are saying or the way in which faith works leaves us highly dependent on constantly need to identify what's right and what's wrong. Making sure that we do more right than we do wrong so we don't end up too much on the bad side and end up in trouble because we somehow couldn't work it out. We end up overwhelmed with these long lists of do's and don'ts that, yes, are in the Scriptures. However, 
what we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus wants more for us than spending our time needing to go right or wrong, do it or don't, yes or no, is this in, is this out? Jesus wants so much more for us than that. So the calling here, what's happening in this throughout the Scriptures is that you and I have been called to a life of imitating the walk of Jesus to following the example of what Jesus did, to recognizing that these works that we do, these activities that we perform, they're not about us attaining faith. Instead, these, these works, these actions come out of our faith. These types of works are a result of our faith, not the cause of our faith. And if this is true then as we look at the example of Jesus and what it means for us to follow Jesus, we recognize that following in the footsteps of Jesus, doing the works that Jesus has called us to do, must include intentional and committed times in the presence of God. It is so many other things, and we're going to talk about some of those in the next couple of weeks, but it also must include this. Now, different teachers call these different things, these ideas of spending time in the presence of Jesus. And there are all kinds of terms that we find or they get thrown around about what some of these, these practices or these, these experiences of spending time with Jesus might be called. Some call them spiritual disciplines. Some call them habits. Some call them spiritual practices. I've grown to appreciate the term sacred rhythms. But whatever term it is that we use, these are tools for us to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. They're practices and rhythms so that you and I can be in the presence of Christ. And many of them you've heard us talk about here. You've heard us preach on before or talk about in our small group gatherings or talk about in different places long lists of what they might include. Some of the ones we've talked about are prayer or scripture reading, silence, solitude, generosity, worship, serving, stewardship, intercession, evangelism, tithing, Sabbath. I could go on and on about some of the ones that we have talked about. And the reality is that as we look at these, none of these are necessarily optional. We need time in each of these. And yet I've come to believe that God, out of his abundant love and grace, has created, has created a multitude of ways in which we can interact with him because God knows that he created a multitude of different people. Somehow that I can't fully understand, the scriptures tell us that you and I were created in the image of God. And yet what we also see is true is that we were created with a multitude of personalities. A multitude of different ways in which we interact with other people. A multitude of personal preferences for how we carry on relations and conversations. Different ways in which we connect even with different people. So you have some people you want to talk on the phone to and other people you don't ever want to talk to on the phone. You'll see them face to face and that's it. You might send a text message or an email, but there are these different people and these different relationships that we carry on in different ways and even that happen differently in different seasons. And I believe it's because this is true in us that God has also created different ways for us to interact 
with him. Different ways for us to spend time in the presence of the Savior. I don't actually think God was ever that concerned with the method that we used. But instead, concerned with our faithfulness. Our willingness to continue to come into the presence of the Savior. If you and I are ever going to become the women and men of God that we're called to be, it's not so much about whether or not we follow the exact same quiet time formula. That we start at the same time every morning. That we read the exact same amount of scripture or follow the exact prescribed method for how it might take place. That we speak the exact same prayers in the exact same way. It's not about that. And yet, if we do that, there's also nothing wrong with that. There are seasons in which we do exactly that. It's part of the reason we've created the reading guide along with this sermon series. To allow us to read and continue to think about the same things. There are churches that use the exact same prayers so that people around the world know we are praying this specifically together. And sometimes they make sure they're doing so at the exact same time. There's nothing wrong with that, but it also is not prescribed to be limiting on how it is that you and I interact with the Savior. Jesus Jesus wants us to spend time in his presence, but he doesn't mandate how we do it. He gives us freedom to find what works with us, and each of us need to find sacred rhythms in our life, rhythms of work and rest, of serving and Sabbath of giving and receiving, of behaving and becoming, of demonstrating and observing, of discipling and being formed. It's not one or the other. It is always both and. So after Jesus had performed these incredible miracles, he encouraged the disciples to stop and eat. After they'd lost their ministry colleague, Jesus encouraged them to rest and to grieve. And yet you know, because we read the story, that on the way, they have this ministry opportunity thrown in their face again. They're sailing across the lake, and as they get ready to get there, the crowds beat them. They walked around the shores, and they saw that they were coming, and they beat them to their port or really wasn't a port. It was just where they would run their boat aground. And when they got there, there were thousands that had gathered waiting for Jesus and the disciples. They needed to hear the message that he was sharing. They needed to meet the Savior. They needed to hear his teachings. They needed to experience what it meant to be in his presence. So Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. So he encouraged the disciples that they would stop here, that they would take care of these people. So Jesus taught them, and then he fed them. And then, again, we almost miss it. Did you notice what happened at the end of the story? The end of the story that I read, verse 45. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. They came to the end again, and Jesus looked at the disciples, and he sent them back into the rest that he had called them to beforehand. 
He said, okay, that's enough. You go ahead. I'll take care of the rest. He sent them away from the people. He sent them back to their break, back to their rest, back to be renewed, to give them time away from the crowds and away from the demands, away from the miraculous so that they could sit in the presence of God, so that they weren't overwhelmed with all that was being asked of them, so that they could be still for a moment. And Jesus... Jesus needed the same. So as he sent away the people with full stomachs and full minds and full hearts, as the disciples headed out across the lake, we're told that Jesus went off to pray alone. They needed space. He needed space. We need space. Space to be alone with Jesus. Space to be away from the demands of life. Space to stop the busyness of work and home and community and even ministry responsibilities. Space to renew our souls. Valley the call of Christ that has been placed upon us is not a call into an exhausting list of do's and don'ts. The call that Jesus has placed upon us is not a call that we constantly pour out ourselves for the sake of others with no opportunity to renew our own souls. John 10.10 says, my purpose, this is Jesus speaking, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some of us are more familiar with the translations that say an abundant life. And in the scriptures, we find out that an abundant life is a life that is full. It's nourishing. It's renewing. It's a life that is good for us and good for others and good for Jesus. Abundant life nourishes our souls. And out of this overflow of our own souls being nourished, it nourishes the souls of others. Abundant life is new life. Life redeemed and restored, recreated and transformed. An abundant life is only possible if you and I establish new patterns of living. If we form sacred rhythms to deeply breathe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So what might it look like for us to be a church committed to this? Some of my thoughts. For Valley to be this kind of church, it means that we encourage and equip you and me and each of us to experience life in the presence of Christ. It means that we introduce habits that create time for you to be alone with Jesus, and then we push you towards these new rhythms of intentional time with the Savior. A church that is committed to this means that we create space for you to practice Sabbath weekly. It means that we create room for you to have sabbaticals in your ministry service. For us to be this kind of church, it means that we reject practices, church practices, oh, and they happen all over the place, church practices that 
deform us instead of transform us. It means that we reject methods of doing ministry that exhaust us as, a, us as a people, but they make us look good to the community that's around us or the other churches that are in the area. They make us feel good about what we're doing, but we're absolutely exhausted with trying to get it done. No, no. Being a church that grabs onto these sacred rhythms means that we reject that way of doing church. We reject that way of living. It means that we celebrate personal growth, your interactions with Jesus, my interactions with Jesus, as much or more than any numerical growth that takes place in our body or in our worship or in our small groups. It means that as a church, we're as deeply committed to you and I spending time alone with Jesus every day as we are to our weekly worship gathering. It means that we release control of your growing faith and we hand you the keys. That we get out of the driver's seat and that we help you find your way there because you are the only one that can drive your faith journey forward. I I can't do it for you. Valley cannot do this for you. We can give you tools to get there, but we can't make you use them. We can introduce you to Jesus, but we cannot make you fall in love with him. We can tell you about the Messiah, but we can't make you surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior and friend of your life. So for us to be the kind of church that is doing this well, that is living this well, means that we put you in control of what's happening with your journey, and we equip and empower and encourage you and me. I keep saying you. It's really us to walk forward in that. Responsibility falls on each of our shoulders and all of our shoulders. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk, the next couple especially, we're going to talk about how how this continues. How if we're allowing this to happen, that there is an overflow that happens in us. An overflow of what it means for us to be in the presence of Christ. To be overflowed with the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And if that is happening, that it brings us back into community one another. And then that continues to push us into this place of impacting our neighbors and the nations for the sake of Christ and the kingdom. But we cannot overlook this and just jump to that. We cannot overlook this and just jump into community or just jump into missions or just jump into service or we miss the great work that Jesus wants to do in each of our souls. As we read through the story of Jesus and the stories of the disciples, it's important for us to recognize the disciples had miraculous work to do. But first... Jesus needed to work a miracle in them. Valley, we have miraculous work to do. We have been called to be a part of doing miraculous work. But first, the Holy Spirit needs to do a miracle inside our own souls. And these sacred rhythms... Create a space for Jesus to do the miraculous in us. And I invite you to join us in this.
being deeply committed to this way of living, this fashion of faith, these sacred rhythms of being alone with the Savior, connected to the Father, deeply in love with Jesus and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, it is absolutely amazing that you so desperately desire to care for your children. It is awe-inspiring that you love us so much that you want us to be in your presence that you've created this multitude of ways for us to learn about you and share in conversation with you and to read the writings that have been left to give us more about who you are, to teach us about how you love, to spend time with you, to serve in your presence. It's amazing that you have created these multitude of ways for the multitude of people that you've created because you so desperately want to be alone with us that you've done everything that you could to make it accessible to us. Jesus, I ask that today you would call us to a space where we are desperate for you. And then that you would introduce us to opportunities For us to be alone with you. More deeply connected with you. Whether it be through worship. Or through the scriptures. Or through prayer. Through generosity. Help us find our way to you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.